This is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you to the Life Fellowship Podcast. I know that the trials of each of you experience can often feel overwhelming, and at those times, the enemy tries to bring discouragement into your life. Remember that in John 16, Jesus tells us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Today, as you listen, I pray that God's word ministers to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit deposits joy and peace into your situation. That I did not mention, Brother Thurman Clay went home to be with the Lord this week. And uh, what a, just a tremendous, some of you knew him very well. I, I knew him only, I only met him four times. I went to visit him, I think, three times at home and then once when he was in hospice just for just one a 24-hour period but he was a faithful man of God I'll tell you something and I'm going to share this tomorrow at the funeral but something that intrigued me about him we would go by his house and usually Herb would be there and Al and Don and Clyde, several of you but he couldn't talk very well anymore he just kind of mumbled you would try to understand him but when we would get ready to leave, he would look at his son-in-law, Gary, and he would he would mumble and point. And Gary said, oh, yeah, 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 I know. So Gary would go back in the back, and Thurman had been writing out his tithe checks every week. And that always intrigued me because he was a, you listen, only faithful people do that. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about he looked at that as service to the Lord. And he wasn't about to let that go by the wayside. He would turn in those tithe checks every week. But he was a faithful man of God. Helped build this church. Not just this building, but the the original church, I believe, if I'm correct. And uh, 92 years old, went home to be with the Lord. That visitation tonight is from 4 to 6 at Blue Bonnet Funeral Home. And then the... Uh, funeral will be will be here tomorrow afternoon, and I uh, just encourage you to lift that family up in prayer. Amen. Well, listen, I want to talk to you this morning just for a few minutes. Eric, you can keep on playing for a few minutes. Not, I'm not going to give you any points today. They owe me or whatever, but I, I just want to try to stir this church today. I want to talk about redigging the well of powerful, persistent prayer. I'm going to start on Wednesday night teaching on prayer, and I'll hopefully give some good points and different types of praying and, and try to dice. But this morning, my goal is to stir the heart of this church to pray for God to make a way. And I want to read a scripture to you this morning. I all week long up to last night at 10 o'clock I tried to come up with a prayer scripture for my main text today and nothing seemed to fit and I just I, I said Lord I just don't and, and the Lord brought my attention to this story and I got out my Bible and opened it up and I said yes God that's where we are in the church and I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2 this is where we are with prayer in the church and I just believe God's going to speak to us this morning Redigging the well of powerful, persistent prayer so that those that water can flow again, that life-giving water of prayer can flow again. 
Nehemiah chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 17 and 18, then I'll drop down to chapter 4. It says, But now I said to them, You know very well what trouble we are in. This is Nehemiah talking to the people. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been upon me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. And then dropping to Nehemiah 4, verses 16 through 18. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the houses of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded to his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Dropping to verse 21 and 23. So we labored in the work and half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may guard by night and work party by day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes except to wash them day and night. Lord, I ask you this morning in this place, God, that you would allow your word just come alive in us today, God. Stir the hearts of your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to share with you uh, just a few thoughts about this story this morning. Nehemiah has come to find that in God's city, Jerusalem, the city of God's people, that it's, it lies in ruins that there are gaping holes in the walls that have allowed the enemy to just come in unhindered back and forth and utterly devastate the city. There was so much rubble. The Bible says that Nehemiah just wept because there was so much rubble that he just literally just weep because the condition of the house had come to that everyone else had just expected that listen it's just the way it is it's just the day we're living in but Nehemiah recognized that God could restore his own city if the people would come together and work and pray when I thought of this story last night it, this is a picture of the American church and sadly, it's not a picture of the church worldwide. It's a picture of the American church when it comes to prayer in particular. We have lost our edge because we have allowed prayer to fall by the wayside. Our corporate prayer has fallen by the wayside. There are gaping holes in the walls of our churches that have allowed the enemy to have a free pass at the family unit that once made up 
the church. Just a few statistics for you this morning. 2019, a recent survey conducted by Courier out of Charlotte, North Carolina, church leaders say that the lack of prayer out of the 10 biggest things is having the greatest impact, negative impact upon the church. 2016, the Barna Group's latest study showed that only 2% of church-attending believers come together in audible corporate prayer anymore. 2%. If the church isn't feeling distressed, it should. Nehemiah felt distressed because he saw the state of the house. And we should feel distressed. In 2017, Christianity Today, in a recent survey of pew-sitting church attenders, 71% of believers think that alcohol is okay. Now, I want everybody to understand this morning, I'm not throwing stones at you if you drink. That, that's, that's between you and God. But that doesn't make it okay with him. 71%, listen, if that was in 2017, I can tell you something, that ratio is higher today than two years ago. Pew Research Survey done in 2015, four years ago, stated that 54% of Christians believe that a homosexual or lesbian lifestyle is okay. This was four years ago. If it was 54 four years ago it's probably in the 60's now there again I'm not throwing stones at you today I'm just trying to tell you that God's word says it's not the Bible is full of references where God's people had to cry out to him in an audible voice of prayer in 2014 Christian Post survey stated that 61% of Christian young adults believe that sex before marriage is okay. And just behind that statistic, 58% believed it was okay to live together. These were all conducted by pew-sitting, attending believers. The sad part about this, and I didn't have this in my notes, but I want to share it. Two of these surveys had a ranking of Christian churches and the percentages and they ranked Christians all the way. The Catholic was at the top, and they had Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witness and Mormons were at the bottom. They were ranked, and uh, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal was somewhere in the middle. They were ranked that way because of how they answered the questions. Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witness, and Mormons, less than 15% believed that most of this stuff was okay. These are churches that, have, that are not really even Churches as we would know it, they don't even believe in God as we believe in God. And they have moral high ground that is better than the Protestant church. 64% of Methodists, Baptists, and Pentecostals believed that a gay lifestyle was okay. You're not in distress. You should be. And it's not a distress that God has caused. It's a distress that we should be feeling because we have walked away from the DNA that God has placed in us. The DNA is in us to pray. 
The DNA of, Je the DNA of Jesus was to pray. And we have his DNA. It's time once again that the church cry out to God in corporate prayer. It's time that we again sound the alarm. Now I'm not talking about, listen, it's, it's okay sometimes when we have corporate prayer. We better raise our voice, church. Well, you know, that's just not me, Pastor. If, I'm getting, if I was getting ready to run over your child with a car, Pastor, I don't like your analogy. Let me tell you something. The enemy's after your children. If I was getting ready to run over your child with a car, would you say, Brandy, would you say, Judson? I don't think so. Judson! But we come before God. I don't know if we're in shock of what we are. And listen, I'm not talking about life fellowship. I'm talking about the church at large. If the shoe fits you this morning, sister, just put it on. I said last week, I'm not mad. I'm just intense. Because all week long, my heart has been stirred about the state of the church when it comes to prayer. Prayer is the very thing that allows us to interact with heaven. I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Jesus walking around on the street and in the, in the church. I mean, I haven't seen him sitting beside me on the front row. Prayer is how I interact with heaven. Prayer is my resource where I interact with heaven. And it's time that once again God's people begin to cry out to God. King David himself cried out more times in Scripture. I got to looking at last night trying to get a count, and there were so many times that David said, and I cried unto the Lord. And church, I want to tell you it's time that we cry unto the Lord. Psalms 145, 19, David says, He will fulfill the desire of him who fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Psalms 18, 6 says, In my distress I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Hallelujah. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry came before him into his ears. Church, I want to tell you it's time that we put away everything else and once again come together corporately in prayer and begin to cry out for God to move again in our land. It's up to the church. It's up to the church. God's looking for people that will recognize, God, your way is still the only way. God, we've tried it all. and I, Lord, I'm not harping on programs and nice stuff. We're going to the Axe Factory. The Axe Factory ain't nothing spiritual about that. We're just doing that for fellowship. 
But I want to tell you, it doesn't take the place of God's people coming together in audible corporate prayer and raising the roof off of the house so and letting God know that we mean business. We, we get involved in all this other stuff that we mean business about. We'll go to a, we'll go to a race or, or we'll go to Bass Pro Shops when they have when the fall extravaganza and got all the hunting stuff on sale. Or we do all this stuff and we get excited about it. But when it comes time to cry out to a God that has ears turned towards us to hear, we sit in our seat and seem to draw up like a prune. And God is saying, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear, I will come, and I will heal their land. God's calling upon this church to pray. Nehemiah's forces came together in a concentrated prayer effort. Concentration. That, it means when something is concentrated, it means it's present in high proportion relative to other things. I, I'm glad that maybe Phyllis has a healthy prayer life. But see, when we all come together it becomes a concentrated prayer and all of a sudden everything around us that may be from the enemy or out of proportion it begins to be by diluted by the prayers uh, this is a good example this morning this is my I drank Kool-Aid by the way if y'all didn't know if you ever want to know something to get me that won't cost you a lot I, and I do like the Kool-Aid brand you can find it only at Walmart it's sugar free and I do like cherry orange and grape this is great. But this is a bottle of water. Doesn't look like water. But this morning I put a little drop of grape Kool-Aid in this bottle. And something amazing happened because it was concentrated. It inundated the whole bottle. Just, just, just that drop. And when, and when I walked around and it's shaking around, all of a sudden now you can't really tell it's water anymore because it's actually become cool. You can taste that all you want. I'm not giving you any this morning because it's mine. But you can try it if you want to and it don't taste like water. It's now Kool-Aid because something concentrated was put on the inside. And I want to tell you what we see in the natural needs a concentrated prayer of the church to be placed inside it in what looks negative, what looks like it can't change, what looks like a country will never return to God. Oh, when a concentration of God's people began to pray. In a matter of instance, I should have saved this. I really didn't have that in my notes to do that. I just saw it sitting there. But if I had a thought about doing this, I could have put that drop in there and you could have watched literally within a few moments it would have changed. And I want to tell you, even though the enemy for years has been beating against the wall of the church and the church has become, become more and more complacent in prayer, even though it looks like so much damage has been done, if God's people will come together in serious, persistent, passionate corporate prayer, I believe that in a matter of moments, God can turn this thing around. I believe God can, can turn it around. We say we want a move of God. We say we want the Holy Spirit to settle in this place. 
But I'll tell you this, you don't get any other note that I've come up with. I want to give you this today. We will never have an Acts 2 experience without an Acts 1 church. If you read the scripture, in Acts 1, they came together in prayer. I believe it's about verse 12 or 14. They came together in prayer. They went to the upper room and just began to pray in Acts chapter 1. And they didn't stop just because. They kept on and on and on and they pushed and they became more concentrated. And I tried to, I tried to picture what, what must have been taking place in the heavens. Any of you ever daydream about just how the works of God must operate? Anybody ever daydream about that? I tried to picture what it must have been like when the prayer meeting started and then all of a sudden when God opened up heaven and cloven tongues of fire began to be dropped upon the church. I, I don't know how intense prayer had to get. I don't, I don't know how many people may have had to get right with God and get sin out of their life. I don't know what took place. All I can tell you is that Acts 1 church brought on an Acts 2 experience. And I want to, at Life Fellowship, if we want to have an Acts 2 experience, an Acts 2 outpouring, we've got to start operating like an Acts 1 church. We've got to get back to the basics of prayer and begin to cry out to God and say, God, your way is the only way. God, we're going to cry out to you again in a dry, in a thirsty land. God, we're putting off our schedule. We're putting off our event because God, we are desperate. God, we are in distress, but we know that by your might and by your power and by your spirit says the Lord of hosts that you will move again. When we get serious about corporate prayer I want to read a little bit of a story it's so good because it can happen here it's a story that's intrigued me for years it's about the Welsh revival most people have heard of the Welsh revival which started in 1904 began as a movement of prayer. Seventeen people were coming together in a small church and praying for God's presence to change their nation. Led by a young man named Evan Roberts, the meetings went on for several weeks until finally revival came. It was described best in the Welsh newspapers, found in the snippets of ecclesiastical news, such as the Reverend Peter Jones has just been appointed to the chaplain of St. David's. Or the Mowbray Street Methodist Church just had a yard sale. But suddenly, there in the headline, it said great crowds of people drawn together to pray. For a number of days, a young man named Evan Roberts has been causing quite a stir. The main road on which the church is situated was packed with wall-to-wall -wall people. Shopkeepers were closing early just to find a place to sit. Once the news had spread, a reporter from the newspaper was sent out and he described vividly what he saw. This was a strange meeting of the likes of which he had never seen. The meeting did not end until 4.25 a.m. in the morning. I know that's just too deep for us right now, but I just want to, 4.25 in the morning. And even when the people did not seem 
Even after the meeting ended at 425, the people did not seem willing to go home. They were all standing in the street outside of the church talking about what had taken place during the night. The next day, every grocery store in the valley was emptied of its groceries by people attending the meetings because they couldn't bear the thought of getting up and leaving the meeting to go get something to eat, so they just brought the food with them. Let me just make an executive decision. We don't allow food in our sanctuary, but if some of y'all stay to 4 a.m., we'll take that sign down. I'm moving on. I just wanted to... On Sundays, every church was filled with standing room only. The movement went like a tidal wave over Wales. In five months, there were 100,000 people converted. Since the revival started, there was a practically no crime. So we just, so they asked a police sergeant, they council members, this, I've got to back up, I've got to head of myself. The social impact was so astounding for example, that judges had no cases to try. No robberies, no burglaries, no rapes, no murders, no embezzlements, nothing. District councils held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they had nothing to do. In one town, a sergeant of the police was sent for to come to a council meeting and ask by a council member, what do you do with your time? He said, since the revival started, there is practically no crime, so we just go with the crowds. The council member asked, what does that mean? The sergeant replied, you know where the crowds are. They're packing out the churches. But how does that affect the police? The councilman asked. The sergeant responded, well, we now have three quartets in our police station. If a church wants singing, they simply call the police. And we go and we sing. There was even a slowdown in the coal mines. Hundreds of Welsh coal miners were saved and stopped using bad language. The horses that worked in the mines could no longer understand what was being said to them. Hence, transportation slowed down for a while until they learned the commands without profanity. The revival also affected the sexual moral standards of the land. Illegitimate birth rate dropped 44% in one year. As the revival swept through Britain and moved through Norway, the Norwegian parliament passed special legislation that allowed laymen to conduct communion because the clergy could not keep up with the number of new converts that desired to partake in communion. All this birthed out of 17 people that came together in prayer because a country had lost its way. But I'm not talking about just a little prayer. We used to sing that song as kids, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going, everybody in this, if you, don't, if you don't know that song, you may not be saved. We need to pray for you. <laughs> I got to thinking about that song. They ought, to, they ought to wipe that song off the records. That's the biggest bunch of baloney I've ever heard of in my life this little light of mine let me tell you something what God does inside of you is no little light it's a beacon on a hill not a little light and when the church comes together in corporate prayer 
we're able to shine in a lost and a dying world. Jesus gave us the perfect foundational prayer model. Jesus had schedules, he had problems, but they never derailed his prayer life. Jesus spent time praying before, during, and after every miracle. Every day Jesus was pressured from crowds, satanic oppression, the constant threat of Pharisees and the agenda of his disciples, but he still prayed. Oh, that the church would once again get that stone of busyness and schedule out of the way of the well of prayer. That we would redig this well. Prayer reflected his relationship with the Father. Jesus himself, when he was baptized, prayed. And when he prayed, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended. Church, I want to tell you, we can have as many good sermons and services as we want, but if the church won't come together in strong, unapologetic, corporate prayer, the heavens will never be opened over this place or any other place. Regardless, I don't care if you I don't care if, if we're Pentecostal or not. If a, if an Episcopalian, I'm, I'm convinced of this, Jason. If an Episcopalian church down the road decides that they're going to come together and seek the face of a holy God and repent of their ways and cry out to Him, God's presence will fall over there at Episcopal Church. God is looking for a people that will come together and once again cry out to Him in corporate prayer. Jesus gave us the example. He lived by prayer and he died by prayer. His last words before he descended, he said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. He prayed before choosing the 12 disciples, the apostles. He prayed before, before feeding the 5,000. He prayed before raising Lazarus from the dead. He prayed before the storm. He prayed in Matthew 14. The Bible says that he sent the disciples into, uh, onto the boat and he went away in the wilderness to pray. And I, Listen, I want to tell you something. If we don't come together and pray, then when we get ourselves in a storm, we're going to be just like the disciples and we're not going to know what to do it's time that we and I want to tell you something this morning there's a storm coming we haven't seen anything yet there is a storm that's coming but I'm thankful today that even I may be tossed a little to and fro, but the enemy's assault on the church will come to nothing if the church will come together in corporate prayer. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I had it a minute ago, but it was kind of like this. The absence of corporate prayer is the locus that has devoured the power of the church. We don't pray. At altar calls all across this nation this morning, there will be ministers that have Five to hundreds of people in altars. And people will be asked to cry out to the Lord 
in most of those auditoriums, you could hear still still hear somebody talking on the back wall. We've lost our edge in prayer, church. The good news is God hasn't lost his edge. He's never had to be sharpened. He's always had his edge. And I want to tell you today that God is calling this church. Listen, I, I don't care what everybody else does because I haven't been put in charge of everybody else. I, I'm not responsible for what every other church does, but I know what God wants us to do. God wants us to begin to corporately come together, cry out to him because time is growing short and I do believe that God wants to do something miraculous in the last days. But it's gonna, his presence, his spirit will begin to fall on a church that comes together in prayer. Prayer relinquishes the controls back over to the controller. Eric, if you could, you could come, let's pray the way makers. And I want to ask you this morning, is corporate prayer, could it be a reflection of how your personal prayer life is? I was, I was convicted this week just in studying and praying about today. I was convicted this week just about my own prayer life. I don't spend enough time praying. I'm afraid that most of our prayers are reactive prayer. You get news of something, you react in prayer. You get news from the doctor, News on the job, news about a child, we react. We're reactive in our prayer life. But I want to tell you, God is calling us to be proactive in our prayer life. We don't wait till something happens. We don't wait till everything is falling apart. But in a corporate and a private level, on a regular daily basis, we get on our face before God and we cry out to Him. If you've ever cried out for your favorite team, you've ever cried out in excitement for anything shame on the church if you won't lift your voice and cry out to the God in heaven the one that has the power to change everything around you the one that controls destiny and God is calling us as a church serious about corporate prayer see prayer is really a declaration hey, pastor you don't you don't know how bad things have gotten it's just hard for me to get in the mood to pray I, I, when I sit there I can't listen I understand how difficult things may have become but I want to tell you something if you're a child of God the DNA is in you I don't know where it is, but it's in you. I know the storm's been difficult, but the DNA is in Well, you don't know what my childhood was like. The DNA is in you if 
you're a child of God. I read a true story recently about a, a man back in the turn of the century. He had moved out to Arizona and bought a big farm and he started raising chickens. And one night a terrible storm, tornadoes, wind and hail swept through his place. He had only been there a few months, had just gotten it established, spent everything he had. And upon walking out, when the storm cleared, he noticed that his home didn't have a roof on it anymore, that all of his hen houses had blown away and were lying in rubbles all around him. Everything that he had was ultimately destroyed. And as he looked, he heard, he heard something and looked over to the side and in the rubble he heard a noise. This is a true story. He said that his one of his roosters had survived the storm and the sun was just coming up over that Arizona horizon. And that rooster had lost most of his feathers. He was soaking wet. To put it in today's terms, he was a hot mess. But he said that rooster weaved his way through the rubble and he didn't stop until he got on top of the pile. And with the little wet plucked wings that he had left he poked his chest out and he began to crow because the sun was coming up and in his DNA it was just in him that you know what this is what I'm to do even though the storm has been long even though the night seems like it's been extended even like it seems like the rubble is too much to bear it's in my DNA to crow and I want to tell the church something this morning it's in your DNA to get up out of your seat wherever, wherever you are and say God I'm ready to put my chest out I'm ready to proclaim the goodness of the Lord I, I'm ready to get serious in proclaiming who you are I'm ready to start declaring by the authority of the blood of Jesus that I am I am going to overcome I'm ready to declare Satan will not take my family. I'm ready to declare that the church is not over. I'm ready to declare that healing is in the house. I'm ready to declare that addictions are broken. I'm ready to declare that marriages are restored. I'm ready to declare, God, that you are about to move in the church. Once again. Now I want to ask you this morning. I have become so complacent and mundane and quiet in my prayer life. Let me tell you, Nehemiah was embarrassed. It was so bad. But admitting there's been a problem, I, I, I want to tell you about your pastor. I'm embarrassed my prayer life hasn't been any better than what it's been. 
I'm embarrassed that I haven't sought God for change any more than I have. But I want to ask you in this house this morning, if you would let pride literally just drip somewhere in the back of your mind and say, Pastor, I've become too mundane. I've become too quiet. I, I haven't cried out to God. I, I, I don't get excited in prayer anymore. Can I tell you, I believe that this morning in this house that God is going to stir up the gift of prayer in the church. I believe that we're about to start something that's a concentrated movement. Listen, if it could happen in Wales 115 years ago, they didn't have social media. Can you imagine how difficult it was to get the news out? If it could happen there 115 years ago with 17 people, what in the Lord's name could take place? If 200 people at Life Fellowship got serious about praying for God to come back and move in the Metroplex, what could take place in the spiritual I want to tell you, heaven can be opened up over this place. Heaven can, heaven can be opened up and God's Spirit poured out again in this place. Now I want to ask you right now in this place this morning, if you would be honest enough, say, Pastor, I need a change in my prayer life and I need to be more serious and passionate for God in prayer. Would you feel this altar right now? Not going not to ask, not going to beg, but I want to tell you, God's calling this church. God, come on close, give me more room to come here. You got to step up close. Come on. Come on, come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast here at Life Fellowship Church in Hearst, Texas. God is doing great things at our church, and we would like for you to be a part. Join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.45 p.m. Get connected with us through Facebook or our website at www.lifefellowshiphearst.org. Thank you, and God bless. God bless.